Take your Bibles out and turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, looking this morning at the subject matter, living in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Uh, you know, Carter said something in his offertory prayer, made me think. Uh, last week I had told you that they would probably be in worship there about three hours, and he said in his prayer, sitting on bricks and uh, listening to a service for three hours. It actually wasn't three hours, it was over four hours. So see, y'all don't have it so bad after all, do ya? I mean, what's a 35, 40, 45 minute sermon? Uh, over four hours last Sunday morning. And like I say, 50 professions of faith. So anyway, we need to do that one Sunday, amen? Four hour service? You gonna, who's going to stay with me? <laughs> Take your Bibles out and again, Colossians chapter 3. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Beginning in verse 1. Paul says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not uh, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Father, we thank You for a passage on resurrection living because indeed we know that the life of Christ, the resurrected life of Christ, ought to change everything about how we live our lives. Lord, help us to understand that. The truth of the Bible that says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God, help us to understand this whole new orientation we are to have in our lives as a result 
of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And may we live our lives in such a way that if you come again the second time, perhaps even today, Christ might come for His bride. That He would find us living in such a way that we would hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of years ago, while going through a series on the book of Judges, some of you may remember a story that I had uh, come across during that time about a lady in a small town in South Florida that was known as Garbage Mary. Remember the story about Garbage Mary? There was this lady that was going about town and she was dressed like a homeless lady, like we would call her a bag lady and pushing her shopping cart around and, and she was scavenging through garbage cans and dumpsters and, and it appeared that she was just simply living on the streets. Anybody that would have come across Garbage Mary would have supposed that she was a homeless and destitute lady. Well, on one occasion, the police picked Garbage Mary up because something she had done, and she ended up in a psychiatric institution. And as she was in the psychiatric institution, they, the authorities were going through some of her belongings because they needed to try to understand who this lady was, and maybe she had family somewhere that they could contact. Well, in her belongings, they uncovered her address. And they went into her home and they were absolutely shocked to discover what they discovered. There were mounds, mounds and mounds, stacks and stacks of cash everywhere. There were bank accounts and stock securities, even oil drilling rights. There was a flood of paperwork showing that Garbage Mary was not destitute. In fact, she was vastly wealthy. She was a woman worth up into the millions and millions of dollars. Here was a rich woman scavenging as a homeless person through the garbage. You know, folks, sadly, many believers live today like Garbage Mary vastly rich in and through Christ, and yet we're living like beggars. Now today in the first four verses that we're going to look at, we're going to see how rich indeed we are in Christ. We've got a new position. You and I need to understand with our redemption, we have a whole new position, a new status, a new standing before God. And Paul's going to talk about that in the first four verses. And then in the next 13 verses, we're going to see the difference that that new status or that new position ought to make. We're not to live like a garbage Mary, uh, spiritually speaking. Now all 17 verses of Colossians chapter 3 tie in with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week at Easter, of course, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we saw there how the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. 
You may remember Paul's conversation with the Corinthians over that. There were some indicating to the Corinthians that maybe there was not any such thing as a resurrection of the dead. And Paul said, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then that would mean that not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then you're still in your sins. Everything we believe in is meaningless. We have no hope whatsoever and all of our preaching is meaningless. He pointed out there that indeed though Christ is raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died in Him and because of His death, burial and resurrection, the resurrection changes everything or should change everything about a believer's life. Now folks, when we think about a believer's life, when we think about the life that we now have in Christ, when we think about our redemption, we talk about redemption in three different stages, past, present, and future. We talk about when we were saved, when we were justified. That's when you were born again. And you were reconciled to God and you entered into a whole new status of being at peace with God. You were justified. Those who are justified are also sanctified. That's the present tense of the Christian life. We're to continue to grow daily in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. We're to be sanctified. We're to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And then one day we will be glorified. That is when we get to heaven and we receive all of our inheritance that Christ has in store for us. Now we we need to understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has tremendous implications for all three of those phases of salvation. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. Again, it ought to change everything about us. Our thinking, our words, our motives, our actions, and the way we treat one another. Let's see how all of that unfolds in this text before us today. The first thing I want you to notice with me today is the fact that we have a new position. Paul says, if, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Now the Apostle Paul uses here just very simple indicative statements. In the Greek text, it's just indicative statements in a matter-of-fact sort of way describing what a believer's new position is in Christ. We were in Adam, the first Adam, and being in Adam we die. However, our position in the sight of God has changed because of His work of redemption He's done in us. Now I'm thinking about these four indicative statements that he uses to describe our new position in Christ. Let's take the first one out of the four. We'll take them all in order. First of all, he says, we've been raised up with Christ. 
When a person becomes a believer, God sees them as being joined to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we were all in Adam. When Adam sinned, the whole entire human race sinned. Theologians talk about the whole entire human race was literally in the loins of Adam. He's our ancestor. We, he's the, the, the first man. And, and, and the whole humanity was, was in Adam, came out of Adam. And we were in Adam. And, and likewise, that means that it's as though when Adam sinned as our representative... All of humanity sinned. And then we only ratify Adam's decision when we come along because we do the same thing Adam did by nature and by choice. We sinned. And so we were in Adam, but as we were in Adam, so too are believers now in Christ. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin wrote, There are but two men that are seen standing before God, Adam and Jesus Christ, and these two men have all other men hanging at their girdles. As we were in Adam, so also are we in Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection are, in essence, applied to the life of the believer. When we trust Christ... It's as though God applies everything related to Christ to our personal account. Christ became our substitute. The just died for the unjust. When he died, it's as though we died. When he arose, we arose. Now, of course, for us, the benefit is still future, but in God's mind, it's as good as already done. It's like Paul says in Romans 8, 29. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. It's that golden chain of redemption. And it's still got to all be worked out in our lives, but in the mind and the heart of God, it's as good as done. We've been raised up with Christ. Christ was raised to be seated at the right hand of God and he has life. Christ was raised up never to die again. Death has no more dominion over him and so through him we have eternal life. Well the second statement he makes about the status or the new position of a believer is that we have died. He says that in verse 3. Did you know you're dead? You say, nobody invited me to my funeral, but you're dead. The Bible says that those in Christ have been joined to his death. Your old man, the man without Christ, is dead. Do you remember how you lived your life when sin and Satan had dominion over you? Well, now that you are in Christ, that is no longer who you are. But back when you lived in that state, you remember what you did in that state? You lived pretty much any old way that you wanted to live and whatever your flesh wanted to do. But again, if you're indeed in Christ, that life is over. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your life, B.C., before Christ, no longer exists. 
Now you still have that old fleshly nature that wages war against us and we'll talk about that and the consequences of that more later on. But you are a new creation in Christ. You've been raised up with Christ and your old life is dead. Now a third statement he gives here is that your life is hidden in Christ, uh, with Christ in God. You are tucked away for safekeeping. You are preserved, you're hidden from the judgment of the unbelievers that is to come. One of these days the unbelief of the world is going to be exposed and judgment is going to be unleashed. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not your destiny because you have been hidden with Christ in God. Remember how Jesus said to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, and he's preparing a place for you. And so when all the sin and the wretchedness and the unbelief of the world is exposed, you will be safe because you've been hidden with Christ. And then fourthly, he says here, you will be revealed with Christ in glory. In verse 4, he says, when Christ who is your life appears, that word appears there, uh, is the word for unveiling. It, it means that one of these days there's going to be that open display, that unveiling of the glory of Jesus Christ. And in that day, two things are going to happen. The Bible says on the one hand, the unbelievers are going to weep because they're going to see whom they have pierced and rejected and that he is indeed king of kings and lord of lords but it's too late for them but the second thing he says is going to happen when Christ is unveiled the open display of his glory is that believers will be unveiled in glory with him it says, Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall be raised first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. That's the time when believers will be unveiled with Christ in glory. So in these four brief, succinct phrases, Paul has described our new position or our new status in a very matter-of-fact kind of way. Now a question I want to ask you, should that make any difference in the way you and I live? Absolutely. Folks, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be raised up with Him? What does it mean to have died? 
Uh, what does it mean that your life is hidden with Christ and God? What does it mean that one of these days you're going to be revealed with Him in glory? It ought to mean that your life in every way possible changes. Because now you have the life of Christ in you. And so you ought to be different. You've been born again. You've been born from above. You've been born from the Spirit. And so out of this new position should grow new priorities. And that's what he talks about. Secondly, we are to live with new priorities. Now it's interesting that many of these things are written in the imperative which means they are commands. Before when he was describing our new status it was a matter of fact indicative statements that just simply describe who we are now. But here we have commands given to us in light of our new status. Now before we begin looking at these new priorities, I think it might be helpful if we would understand something of the context of what Paul is addressing here. You see, the Colossian Christians were being attacked by a group of false teachers who were Gnostics. There at Colossae, the Colossian heresy was sort of a marriage between old-fashioned Jewish legalism on the one hand and sort of a new age Gnosticism on the other. And in that Gnosticism, many of the Gnostic teachers were saying as long as you gave proper attention to your spiritual life, it did not matter what you did with your flesh. Now folks, that's not the Bible because the Bible tells us if we're right with God it, it ought to make all the difference in the world in our flesh. But the Colossians were being told that it didn't matter what you did with your flesh and consequently many of the Gnostic leaders led very impure lives with evil stuff in their life. And so we need to see this list of priorities against that. Here the Gnostics were saying none of this matters and Paul is saying it all matters. Everything you do with your life, how you think, how you talk, how you act, how you treat people, the motives of your heart, it all matters because you're to live now as somebody who is redeemed in Jesus Christ. You're to live with new priorities that go with your new position. Now let's talk about those. First of all, he says we are to have a new ambition. He says in verse 1, If then you've been raised with Christ, underscore this next phrase, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Literally in the Greek text it is keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Like a compass points north, we are to point to Christ. The believer who has died with Christ and been raised up with Christ is to be occupied with Jesus and occupied with the things of God. As a Christian, you and I are to live with a new ambition. Remember what Jesus said about that in Matthew 6, He said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
because how's the rest of the world live? Jesus in that same passage says the rest of the world that's seeking after only the world is anxious and worried about everything in the world. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. And Jesus said, don't you understand that, that your life means more than that? You belong to God. God's going to take care of all that stuff in your life. You need to have a new ambition. You need to seek and keep seeking the things that are above. And as you're seeking the things above, God's going to take care of all that other that you need. Paul says, keep seeking the things above. A new ambition. Secondly, we are to have a new concentration. He says there in verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. The Christian mind is to dwell on higher things. What's your mind dwell on? A Christian mind is to be set on things that are above. As J.B. Lightfoot said of this, you must not only seek heaven, you must think heaven. Now how do we do this? It begins by being in the Word of God. You and I need to make a very deliberate and conscious choice daily to be in God's Word. We need to get to know God through His Word. Listen folks, God has chosen to reveal who He is through His Word. When people don't have the Bible or where they reject the Bible, they end up making a God of their own choosing and imagination. Just read Romans chapter 1. They end up in idolatry. But God has chosen to reveal who He is and what He's done through the pages of Scripture. And so if I'm going to know the God of the Bible, then I'm going to have to read the Bible. I'm going to have to find out about Him. How has He dealt with His people in the past? What has he expected of them? What has he asked of them? How are they to live? Listen, I, I cannot even have an effective prayer life unless I get to know the God of the Bible. What am I to pray about? How am I to pray? If I don't know the God of the Bible, I'll end up approaching him in the wrong way and asking for the wrong thing. We cannot get to know God and set our minds on what is important to Him without spending time in His Word. Now, as we're in His Word, we begin seeing more and more what is important to God and what is pleasing to Him. Our whole focus, our whole concentration in life changes. We're to have that new concentration. And so as somebody who's in Christ, there's to be a new ambition about my life. There's to be a new concentration. But thirdly, I want you to notice there's to be a new wardrobe. We're to live with a new wardrobe. He talks about that beginning there in verse 5. We're to pay attention to our spiritual clothing. That is our lifestyle. We might say that we're to be careful how we dress and undress. And I'm not talking about normal clothing. But let's make an analogy with clothing. When you go to bed at night, your clothes don't just fall off. You've got to take them off. When you step out of the shower the next morning, your new clothes don't just jump on you. You've got to put them on. It's a shame that a lot of people give more attention to their daily wardrobe as far as clothing than they do about choosing their lifestyle. 
Paul's point is because you're new in Christ and he's alive and he's dwelling in you, you are to live differently than you did before. Now it's not automatic. Remember that old man while crucified is still there. That old man has not been fully eradicated. If you think the old man has been fully eradicated, then just watch and see what happens if somebody takes your parking space this afternoon. That old man's going to rear his ugly head, isn't he? We've been saved from the power of sin and we've been saved from the penalty of sin and one of these days in the future we're going to be saved from the presence of sin but until then there's this battle that goes on in our flesh. There's, there's uh, two natures inside of you. There's the old nature and the new nature. Somebody described it like a, a good dog and a bad dog living inside of me and he was asked which dog wins the fight and he responded by saying whichever dog I feed that day see a Christian is to feed the new nature the new nature and that's what Paul is talking about here with these new priorities and this analogy of the taking off and putting on. What he's talking about here is we are to feed the new nature. And you remember as Paul said as he writes this how real it was in his own life because in Romans 7 he talks about this ongoing battle in his own life. He says what I don't want to do I end up doing. What I end up doing is not what I want to do. Oh wretched man that I am who is going to deliver me? from this state that I am and he goes on in chapter 8 to say thanks be to God that through the power of his spirit I can, I can conquer many of these things in my life and I can live with these new priorities through the spirit filled life we can put to death the things that are not pleasing to the Lord any sin that has a grip on you can be defeated through the power of the Holy Spirit I want you to understand that and so you're to put to death those sins, those ways of the old man. You're to take them off like a nasty suit of clothes. It's springtime now and many of you are out in your gardens or out in your yard working. And what do you do at the end of the day? You take those nasty sweaty clothes off and you get cleaned up. That's what we need to do spiritually. Now notice the areas that he begins covering here because he's, he begins by taking by, by uh, pointing out the things that we need to take off. He says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. He's talking here about sins of the flesh. He goes on to say here in verse 6, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, the world and even the Supreme Court can say whatever they want to say about sexual sin and they can say that any lifestyle is okay, but the Bible says any lifestyle is not okay. And he says, on account of these things, the wrath of God 
is coming one day. And so he says, put them aside. Then he talks about evil desires and greed, sins of the heart. What did Jesus say? He said in the Sermon on the Mount that it is from the heart that bad things originate and come. Then he talks about anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech. Sins of the mind, sins of the attitude, sins of the tongue. We live in such an angry age. Remember Jesus said if you're angry with somebody without cause, you might as well have committed murder. Anger, wrath, malice. These go together. We get angry with somebody and then perhaps we wish them ill, malice toward them. And then we gossip and we slander about them. James in James 3 talks about the deadly power in the tongue. The average human tongue weighs four ounces and yet he says some people's entire life is, is set on fire by their tongue. They never learn to control what they say. And James says the evils of the tongue are set on fire by hell itself. And so we need to watch what we say. Now with Paul listing these things here that we need to take off, he's not trying to give us an exhaustive list. If he were trying to give us an exhaustive list, we would literally need page after page after page of the Bible to tell us everything. But rather what he's doing is just looking at different categories in our life, whether it's our thoughts whether it's our words, whether it's our motive, whether it's our actions, he's just giving a representative list in all of these areas that we need to lay aside and we need to put off. Folks, as a Christian, anything in your life or anything in my life that we know is not pleasing to the Lord and grieves the Holy Spirit, we need to lay aside. But it's not just the putting off. Then he goes to talk about the putting on, things that we are to put on. Look at what he says beginning there in verse 9. He says in verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. We are to speak the truth. Christians are to love the truth because we serve a God of truth. One little boy got it, he got it wrong, or at least he got it half wrong in Sunday school. When his teacher asked him if he knew what a lie is, he said, I know what a lie is. A lie is an abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in time of trouble. We're to love the truth, though, because God is a God of truth. Remember what Jesus said about Satan in John chapter 8 and what he was saying to the Pharisees? That, that they weren't able to accept the truth and they were lying and saying things about it. He said, because you're of your father, the devil, and he has been lying from the beginning. What did he do in the garden? He came along to Adam and Eve and said, Did God say? God didn't mean that. He lied to them. He deceived them. Jesus says he's a liar from the beginning. Christians, though, are to love truth because we serve a God of truth. 
Another thing we need to put on or clothe ourselves with, look at this list that he talks about in verse 12. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's clear that he's sort of tying this in with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians uh, 5 because he mentions five of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit that Galatians 5.22 speaks of. So we need to be clothed with the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 13, he says we need to put on forgiveness, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. We need to bear with one another and forgive one another. Have you noticed what a rude and impatient age we've become? Nobody bears with one another. In the Sermon on the Mount here recently, we saw where Jesus said, somebody asked you to go a second mile. You're to be a second mile Christian. Go with them the extra mile. We're to forbear. We're to be bearing with one another. And not only bearing with one another, but we're to forgive one another. He says here, just as God in Christ forgave you. What if God uses your same level of forgiveness the level you use against those who have wronged you, what if God uses that same measuring rod against you? Would you be in trouble? Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, He taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Folks, don't let there be any root of bitterness or unforgiveness remain in your heart. Somebody once wisely said that bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart is like you personally drinking poison and sitting down and waiting on the other person to die. You need to clothe yourselves with forgiveness and bear with one another. He says in verse 14, put on love because love covers a multitude of sins. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? He said there in discussing spiritual gifts that whatever your gift is, love gives all the actions and gifts in the church meaning. Paul said, if I can speak with the, with the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I'm nothing. I'm just a sounding uh, symbol, gone. He went on to say there, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what Paul means here in Colossians 3 about how love binds everything else all together. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It's love that binds everything together. And so he says, put on love. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts as far as you know and as far as it depends on you. Are you at peace with all people? Verse 15, put on gratitude, thanksgiving. Folks, Christians ought to be a thankful people. This goes back to the redemption that we have in Christ. 
In chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul said that there was a day in the past when we were outside of Christ that we were under the dominion, we were in the domain of Satan, but now in Christ and the redemption that we have in Christ, we've been transferred out of the domain of Satan and we've been put down into the kingdom of God. If that can't make you grateful, nothing will make you grateful. Verse 16 here, he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. How sad the famine of the word of God that we see today in even the lives of professing believers. A famine. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. How much time do you spend in the word of God? Does, does the Word of God dwell in you? Folks, there is a famine of the Word today. There's a, there's a famine of the, of the Word of God even in far too many churches. I've had two people out of the congregation this past week tell me about experiences that you had last week. Some of you who went to other churches to be at church on Easter with family members and you came back and you reported to me you said, Pastor, I wanted to be at Pitts because the preacher got up and he read a little part of the Word of God. He closed the Bible, set it aside, and never came back to it. One of you told me the preacher got up and said, Easter has nothing to do with the guy who died on a cross 2,000 years ago. Folks, it has. He went on to say, Easter is all about you. No, it's not. Easter is about a guy who died on a cross 2,000 years ago. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That guy, if that's the way he feels, unapologetically, I, I say, he needs to leave the ministry. Too many churches where there is a famine of the Word of God. And Paul says here, we need to let the Word of God dwell in us richly. What that's going to look like, he says, we're going to end up singing, teaching, and admonishing one another. And finally, he sums up in verse 17 by saying, Whatever you do and word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, folks, that's quite a list that we're to put on, isn't it? Does everything about your life give glory to the Lord? Are you doing everything in the name of the Lord to bring glory to the Lord? Could you put everything in your life, your words, your thoughts, your motives, your actions, could you put all of that before God and say, God, all of this is for you. If there are things in your life that you honestly couldn't present as an offering to the Lord, then shouldn't that say something to you that maybe that's something that has no business being in a believer's life? Do all to the glory of God. Again, folks, our lives, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything ought to be different. Everything ought to be different about your life and my life. 
What a shame that the world today sees people walking an aisle, making a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, leaving the doors of the church, going out into the world, and they see people who are just like the world. They don't see any difference in us whatsoever. And then they say, why do I need your Jesus? We're to be different. We're to live in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've given you a quote there by Charles Spurgeon. He said on one occasion, Christian, what hast thou to do with sin? Hath it not cost thee enough already? Burnt child, wilt thou play with the fire? What? When thou hast already been between the jaws of the lion, wilt thou step a second time into his den? Hast thou not had enough of the old serpent? Did he not poison all thy veins once? And wilt thou play upon the hole of the asp and put thy hand upon the den a second time? Oh, be not so mad, so foolish. Did sin ever yield thee real pleasure? Didst thou find solid satisfaction in it? If so, go back to thine old drudgery and wear the chain again if it delight thee. But inasmuch as sin did never give thee what it promised to bestow but deluded thee with lies, be not a second time snared by the old fowler. Be free. Be free. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Folks, don't forget what Christ has done for you. Don't forget today that you were bought with a price. Maybe there's somebody here today who has never had that saving experience with Christ though and you need to come forward and say pastor pray with me because I want to ask God that everything he did at Calvary that that would apply to me that God would convert my soul your heart cry today is Lord Jesus I want to be born again I want to know you come into my life come into my heart forgive me Perhaps you need to remember the status of those who are truly in Christ. You've died with Christ. You've been raised up with Christ. Do your ambitions and affections reflect that? Are you taking off the old clothes and putting on the new? Or do you still look like you used to look? Remember, you used to be on skid row. But now you're a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You need to look and act like it. Examine your life. If there are things that have crept back in that you know are not pleasing to the Lord, things that you need to take off, maybe you want to be at this altar this morning and say, Holy Spirit, give me strength and wisdom to take off those things that grieve you. And put on those things that reflect what a new creation in Christ should look like. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would do your work in us. And that that work would not stop. 
We thank you that the Bible says that he who hath begun a good work in us will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live in such a way that it would be evident to all that our belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed everything about our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray.